Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, I watched two movies back to back that couldn't be more diametrically opposite. One of them, a family friendly musical cartoon. The other, a violent German film about an angry mom who takes on some terrorists on a plane. I'm Jeff Braun. I also watched two movies this week a wonderful documentary about Val Kilmer and what might be the worst movie of the year, at least to me. And we'll tell you about the big movies coming out this week, including the latest from Ryan Reynolds and a biopic about a singing legend. All right, so let's start with the family friendly film. Last week we previewed it. This week I will review the Netflix animated film Vivo. When it came to music, Andres and I became so in sync, not a moment out of place until the letter came. Marta. Nothing would mean more to me than for us to sing together again. So you guys were like a duo. She was also the love of my life, but I never told her how I felt. All my love, I put it into a song. You spent your life making music. Vivo, I must deliver this song to Marta. She needs to know that I love her. Marta, here I come. Lin-Manuel Miranda is the voice of Vivo, a kinkajou, also known as a rainforest honey bear, which is a loose relative of a raccoon. The film starts in Cuba, where he and his owner Andres perform in the courtyard every day to earn some cash. As mentioned in the clip, Vivo has been tasked with getting to Miami to uh, deliver a song to Marta, who's voiced by Gloria Estefan. Along the way, Vivo joins forces with Andres's quirky young grandniece, Gabby, and they sing together along the way. Remember the size of the world before. Now it's you and I, just you and I. And now the horizon holds so much more. Uh, I loved this movie and I loved the music in this movie. Tremendous and colorful animation. It's an emotional roller coaster that just had me ugly crying more than once. Like, I kind of wondered, as a single man who lives alone, is it weird to watch a cartoon musical? Well, it's a good thing I didn't save this for a, a date of some sort because I was disgusting. I mean, I just, I couldn't help it. It was so good. Great story, great fun. The adventures they get into along the way are fun, and it has a satisfying and emotional conclusion. I don't think it broke any new ground. Uh, the Gabby character as well was obnoxious at times. But the movie had a really diverse cast, and part of that diversity was acknowledging that some kids are weird and some kids are loners, but that shouldn't make them outcasts. But the main draw here was definitely Miranda as Vivo. Cute little character. The music is unbelievable. He's so talented. Such a gift to the world. I hope this movie doesn't get lost in the pages of film history because it was released on Netflix and not the big screen. I feel like it might just get swept aside. Like it was supposed to be released in theaters in June. Back in April, Sony decided for some dumb reason, I think, to just pass this off to Netflix I think this film should be in the mix at the Oscars for best animated film and for best song. So I'm going to give that four and a half couch cushions out of five. 
Uh, Jeff, do you think this is something you could end up watching with uh, your girlfriend and her kids? Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, I must put that on the list for uh, once we get into the fall and winter when uh, we can't spend Friday night outside and we you know, have family movie night that this sounds like it would be a good one for that for sure. Yeah, it was just tremendous. So highly recommended for Vivo. Again, that's on Netflix. Just came out this past weekend. The other one, so after watching that happy-feely cartoon that gave me a positive and optimistic outlook on life, I immediately watched a horrifically violent and downright tragic film. <laughs> it's been trending on Netflix since it was released on uh, July 23rd. It's called Blood Red Sky. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. As you can see, we have control of the plane. Our one demand is strictly monetary. If met, you're free. We want this little operation of ours to go up without a hitch. If not, well, use your imaginations. Now, first off, you might be thinking, couldn't quite make out what they were saying towards the end of that clip. Well, that's because some of the movie is in English and some of it is in German. With the access to foreign content and with audiences all around the world watching these movies on various streaming platforms, they're making more and more movies and shows with multiple languages. And I like that a lot. Here's the official synopsis. A woman with a mysterious illness is forced into action when a group of terrorists attempt to hijack a transatlantic overnight flight. In order to protect her son, she will have to reveal a dark secret and unleash the inner monster she has fought to hide. It's not a spoiler for me to say this because you can see it right on the poster or thumbnail as you're scrolling through Netflix. She's a vampire! And a scary one at that when she fully hulks out. She looks like the classic Nosferatu style of vampire, which makes sense because of the German component of this film. And Nosferatu is a German film back in 1922. This movie has a nice and tense slow build to the hijacking as well to the how is mom going to deal with this because she works very hard to keep the vampire down. She's got this medicine that helps her control it, but she's eventually forced into action and starts fighting back. Now, at first, it looked like it was going to become vampire die hard on a plane. Like you could almost put it into terms that you'd hear in the movie Speed. Pop quiz, hot shot. You're a reluctant vampire, but a protective mom. Terrorists hijack your plane. What do you do? But uh, it didn't quite go that way. Like it still had lots of vampire action and some really cool fighting and stuff, but it did go a much different and quite frankly much more tragic direction than I expected which I liked because that was a curveball if this movie was a Hollywood sort of blockbuster it would have gone for sure the full action diehard kind of direction but they took this a different way and they sprinkle in flashbacks here and there to show how she has struggled with her condition over the years and just why she has to work so hard to keep the monster at bay. It's a bit slow at times, and even at just over two hours, I think it was a little bit too long. 
It's at 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll give it four couch cushions out of five. Oh, and it's um, worth pointing out a couple of familiar faces in this. In the clip, you heard the voice of Dominic Purcell, best known for playing Lincoln in the TV show Prison Break. Although he does have a vampire connection in the movie Blade Trinity, he played the vampire, the first one. In that movie, he went by the name Drake, a.k.a. Dracula. Uh, Graham McTavish is also in it. He plays a military boss that oversees the plane landing in Scotland. So nice to see some familiar faces in uh, amongst a cast that was otherwise, you know, I didn't know who any of them were. But just, uh, this was a really good film. If you like vampire stories, but you're kind of bored with the typical stuff that we still continue to get, this was really different. And uh, I will point out, really violent and quite gory at times. So Jeff, it would not be up your alley. <laughs> no, I think I think I'll pass on that one. Vampire movies almost always are just way too gory for me. So again, to recap, Vivo on Netflix, four and a half couch cushions out of five. Blood Red Sky also on Netflix, four couch cushions out of five. And now, in a moment, we're going to hear about the supposed worst movie of the year, as at least as per Jeff Braun. I'm excited to hear which one he went to see. We'll find out next. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And Dev Patel stars in a new movie about medieval times. I saw it this week. It's called The Green Knight. You tell me a tale of yourself so that I might know thee. I have none to tell. Yet you have none to tell yet. Oof, this was a brutal watch. I'll preface it by saying the reviews for The Green Knight have generally been good. It's at 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it seems it's just not for me. And it is not for my girlfriend either. She's adamant that I let everyone know that she believes this to be the worst movie she's seen in the last 10 years. (laughs) Now... I know. This movie is an adaptation of a 14th century poem about an Arthurian legend or something like that. Bruce Miller of the Sioux City Journal says, quote, English majors will love what director David Lowry has done with The Green Knight. The rest of us, not so much. End quote. Again, he and I seem to be in the majority as it's at 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. And he's right about the English major stuff. I'd never heard of this story before. I had no inkling of what it was based on. And frankly, what passed before my eyes was largely nonsensical and at many times irritating. The basic story, as near as I could tell, is that Dev Patel is a nephew of King Arthur. They're celebrating Christmas round the round table when in strides the Green Knight, which is like if uh, Groot and Treebeard had a baby. He's this knight that seems to be just a tree come to life that looks sort of like a man but sort of like a tree and the knight challenges anyone else in the room to a game they may take a free swing at him with their sword in exchange they'll come to his place next christmas and he'll get to take a swing at them sounds like a stupid game not sure why anyone would play it but dev patel volunteers and hits the knight hard thus ensuring that in one year he will have to travel to the green knight's home and have the green knight do the same to him really it's a stupid game and the bulk of this movie is Patel's journey one year later to the home of the Green Knight, and he has these bizarre adventures along the way. It's all presented in a strange, surreal manner. Logic goes out the window, and there's just was no way for me to 
grab a hold of anything in this movie. I couldn't figure out why or even often what was happening. And there was certainly no way to care about Patel or any of the other characters or even get interested really in what was going to happen to him. And the movie also features a CGI fox that is not a very good special effect. Besides the weirdness presented, and when I say weirdness, I mean it's as if you dropped acid or something and went to the movies. It's that kind of weird a lot of the time. But it's also dull and boring. There are long, long shots of him just riding a horse slowly down the road or just sitting and looking. The movie is two hours and ten minutes. It could easily be 90 minutes and you wouldn't have lost anything except for, you know, a minute 45 of one shot of him just riding down the rode in a horse. It's bizarre. Joel Edgerton is also in it, and he actually made me perk up a bit because he was so good in the Underground Railroad, and he sort of livened this movie up a little bit at just the right time, that time being the time I was considering walking out of the theater, and he was weird in a fun way, and then he became so weird that the audience started laughing, and I don't think they were meant to be laughing, but it's also not the weirdest thing in the movie, the Joel Edgerton performance although I would struggle to rank the weird parts. But I think the weirdest thing was probably what I can only describe as a shot that belongs in a triple X-rated adult film. I cannot get into it on a family-friendly radio station. You'll know it when you see it. Um, and it, it blew my mind. I was just like, why is this in the movie? How do they... You sort of wonder how they even get away with it. Surely to God, somebody up the chain would have said, you know what, why don't you just delete that three-second shot because it doesn't do anything for the movie, except it's going to churn a few stomachs. It was weird. Um, Deb Patel also has a mom. She's played by uh, Homeland's Sarita Chowdhury, who is involved in this movie in a couple of ways. But again, I truly didn't understand what she was doing or why or anything at all about her storyline. It involved a flaming letter and a green scarf. Both of those are major items in the movie, but again, I didn't really know why. I will grant the cinematography was pretty great at times, so some well-constructed shots, unlike what you usually see in a movie. A lot of atmosphere. It really does put you there, but it's not bright and happy. The movie looks dank and dismal and depressing, and at first I was really irritated by how dark everything was, but not as irritated as it was by the score. A piercing, screeching score comprised of what sounded like two very sick women singing so high I was half expecting neighborhood dogs to start howling, and they were accompanied by what must have been the sound a violin makes when you put it through a combine, and it'll probably be nominated for an Oscar, but it was one of those kind of scores. Okay. I was just like, oh my god. It was like this movie was doing everything it could to try and get me to get me to leave, but I was like, no, the Couch Potatoes, uh, we have a mandate. We will watch the whole movie, even if it sucks. The ending I found underwhelming, but of course, by then I was so checked out, uh, even if the ending was great, it was too late for me. If you have a mind for high art, and like the Sioux City critic said, a degree in English, you might get something out of this, but I will bear no responsibility for recommending it to you. One Couch Cushion out of five for The Green Knight, Brett. Haven't seen a stinker like this in a long, long time. Oh, man. I almost want to watch it now because of this review. Like, I, I'm curious to see what happens. Don't spend money on it. Wait until it's on Netflix or something. Okay. I might uh, I might have to do, the, do that to check this out. The one time, and you're right, we do have a mandate. We always try to see things through. The one time where I, and I still didn't walk out. I would have walked out if I could, and we've talked about this before, was Tenet. I gave up 30 oh, minutes yeah, yeah. in because I had no idea what was going on. We've complained about the sound mix. I got up and went for a walk a couple of times. I took a nap. 
in the theater, but my friend, he was bound and determined to, to see that movie to the end of the movie, and because it was a Christopher Nolan movie, it was probably close to three hours or whatever. I can't remember how long that movie was. And uh, the one movie where I've seen a bunch of people walk out en masse, oddly yeah. enough, was Miami Vice. Do you remember that? The um, I like that movie. Yeah. Now, we- I didn't see it in theaters, and I did not. By the time I watched it, it had already had its reputation, so the bar was very low, which means it you know, probably played a little better for me than it would have for these people in theater. Yeah, that was a 2006 movie from director Michael Mann with Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell, and I guess people were expecting it to be like a lighthearted remake of the TV show, but it was pretty dark. It was a dark film, yeah. uh, from what I understand, or what it's I recall. It's a film that it's a film, I think, that would be held in quite high esteem if it had any other title and the characters had any other names. You know what I mean? If you just played it as a straight cop movie set in Miami, uh, people would have liked that movie. Yeah, I don't understand why they had to call it Miami Vice. Like, why why bother attaching yourself to a, a well-known franchise if you're not going to stick at all to the franchise? Anyway, that's a great review for The Green Knight. In a moment, we're going to tell you what's new in theaters this weekend. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Three new movies of note this weekend. Let's start with a new one from Ryan Reynolds, which, like many movies, was supposed to open last year. It's called Free Guy. What if you discovered your entire world was a game? Guy, what's a video game? Is this what recreational drugs feel like? In two days, the game is going to shut down. What if we can save it? Everybody down on the ground! Hi. This isn't you. You don't do this. Maybe I do. Please, that mother. He's just resting. And please, this. That man is dead. He's so sleepy. Free Guy. Rated BG-13. August 13th. Only in theaters. So the quick synopsis here. A bank teller discovers that he's actually just a background character in an NPC inside a brutal open-world video game. Free Guy was supposed to open in July 2020, then December 2020, now finally in August 2021. Here we are, and it looks like it was worth the wait because it's getting solid reviews, with many saying it's the best video game ever made. 86% on Rotten Tomatoes at last check. The visuals look spectacular, look super fun, and it is said to be a really clever take on video game video games and video game culture with some relatable stuff for gamers of all ages. But yeah, if, uh, I haven't, I still haven't been to the movies. I was out of town on a golf vacation. So this might be the ticket because uh, when I first saw the trailer for that, I thought, what is that? I don't know anything about it, but I want to see it. I must see it on the big screen. So that's coming this weekend. We also have this... Pretty self-explanatory. Jennifer Hudson plays Aretha Franklin in this film that follows the rise of her career from a kid in her dad's church choir to becoming an international superstar and legend. It's at 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Sounds like a by-the-numbers biopic, but Hudson's performance is said to be stellar. So perhaps we'll see her add to her Oscar collection 
with respect. And uh, finally, one more in theaters worth pointing out. We have a sequel to a thriller that came out five years ago and was a surprise hit. Remember, the guy's blind, but he's still dangerous. Find the girl. The sequel to the best American horror film in 20 years is here. What's happening? Don't Breathe debuted in 2016. It was about a group of youngsters who liked to break into rich people's houses. They get word the blind guy down the street was sitting on a big cash settlement, so they figured, hey, he's an easy target. Let's go rob him. Nope, he's a veteran, and he sends the kids through his fun house with violent delight. He's played, by the way, by uh, Stephen Lang, who I always know him best as the guy from Avatar. You are on. We're Pan- not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. Every living thing out there wants to kill you. Uh, that movie, by the way, the first Don't Breathe, eighty-eight percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It made one hundred and fifty-seven million dollars worldwide. Now for the sequel, we've moved ahead a few years. Lang's character Norman continues to live in quiet solace until his past sins catch up to him. So far, as of Thursday afternoon, as we are recording this, nothing yet on Rotten Tomatoes. That's usually not a good thing. Hopefully, in this case, it just means nothing, and the sequel turns out to be good. I still haven't seen the first one. It is on my list on Netflix. It's been sitting on my list for probably a couple of years, so I should get to that sooner than later. And speaking of Netflix, forgot to mention this. There's a movie coming out this weekend, a Netflix film called Beckett, and it stars John David Washington. He plays the title character in this Hitchcock-style thriller about an American tourist in Greece who has to go on the run to clear his name when he is framed for a crime he didn't commit. So that might be worth Ooh. if you don't want to go out. I, 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 it's funny because I saw the, the scroll, or I saw that you know if you, you let Netflix sit long enough, it'll just kind of go into screensaver mode. And uh, right. this Beckett came up, and I thought, that looks like uh, John David Washington, but he had less facial hair than he usually does, so <laughs> I didn't recognize him. I, I'm always used to him with a, with a, a fairly sizable beard. So, yeah, that's he's so good in everything he does, so that might be worth a look as well. That sounds like something I actually might definitely check out this weekend. And there's something you should check out, Brett. It's a terrific new documentary from and about Val Kilmer on Amazon Prime Video called Val. Hi, my name's Val. I don't do this with every interview I go on. Take you inside my home. I don't, but I'm going to. My name is Val Kilmer. I'm an actor. I've lived a magical life. And I've captured quite a bit of it. Yeah, push the button. I was the first guy I knew to own a video camera. Here we are, filming ourselves. Is that a it's video rolling, yeah. Oh, that's really cool, Val. I have thousands of hours of videotapes and film reels that I've shot throughout my life and career. Shut the video camera off. I will keep it on until we're rehearsing. Oh, damn. Val Kilmer was a huge star in the 80s and 90s, of course, before not exactly shunning Hollywood, but not exactly chasing after big paycheck movies in the 2000s. And, of course, in the last 10 years, he's had some devastating health problems, devastating to his career, but as we can see in this new documentary, not devastating to his spirit. He had throat cancer, and while he survived the cancer, he has been left with a, a breathing tube in his neck, and he can barely speak, which has effectively, of course, ended his acting career. His son, by the way, narrates his documentary. 
Street. Now we see him touring around to comic cons to sign autographs or attending big revival screenings of his old movies, which he realizes is sort of the mark of a washed up actor. But he also finds it touching and humbling that people are still interested in him and his old movies. I'm sure he's had his share of down and dark days in recent years, but he also is very close with his children, and you can see the joy on his face when he's with them. So he is in a better place than you might expect. The documentary goes through all this current day stuff, but it also goes way back to the start because we heard in the clip there, uh, it seems Val Val Kilmer was a video camera guy from the get-go, and aside from home movies of his family, he was also running his camera on the set from Top Gun to The Doors to Tombstone to Batman Forever to The Island of Dr. Moreau. So there's some pretty cool behind-the-scenes footage of a lot of those movies. Uh, I found the Island of Dr. Moreau footage the most fascinating. That was a pretty famous troubled production to which Kilmer himself played a big part in stirring it up, but mostly it was Marlon Brando's fault, Marlon Brando's fault and the first director. Brando, though, is a, a guy who checked out to the point that he hired a guy who looked like him to literally perform for him on days he didn't feel like going to the set. There's some footage of Kilmer and actor David Thewlis trying to figure out if this big, beefy guy sitting in a chair was actually Marlon Brando or just the lookalike. They couldn't tell, and they were like making the movie at the time. It was kind of funny. Um, Taken as a whole, though, the footage from the old movies and all this new stuff paints a portrait of an artist who was never fully satisfied with the Hollywood experience. He didn't do a second Batman movie because, as he put it, my job was to just stand where they wanted me to stand. It's sort of eye-opening. You have to take it with a grain of salt, of course, though, as Kilmer is behind this documentary, ultimately, so I would guess that he has a big say in what is in it and what was left out of it. But nevertheless, I did come away a little more sympathetic to him. I'd always heard, you know, horror stories of him being a difficult actor and that sort of thing. Uh, it, it chronicles his career in conjunction with his home life as a kid and then as a husband and father. And then, of course, that gut punch of his cancer diagnosis at a point in his career where he was trying to launch this passion project about Mark Twain that he had already invested a couple of years in. And again, you're just sort of struck by how zen he is, given what he's lost because of his uh, of his illness, but it hasn't really you know, got him all the way down about it. And it made me actually want to go back and watch a lot of his movies. Top Secret was his first big thing. And that's a silly spy movie spoof from the guys who made Airplane. It's dumb, but I I loved it when I was a kid. I haven't seen that in years. Same with The Saint. I, I don't know how that would hold up. I don't remember anything about it having last seen it when it first came out in the mid-90s, but I remember enjoying it then. Uh, it's also been a while since I've seen Tombstone. Always, That's always a good rewatch. And for what it's worth, I would say the best movie that Val Kilmer is in, and he's not the star, is Heat. Uh, we were talking about Michael Mann before. Michael Mann made Heat in the mid-90s. It's a crime movie starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer's you know, third build. It's an epic cops and robbers movie, one of my all-time faves. Anyways, the documentary... Definitely worth a watch if you're a fan of Val Kilmer. And if you've wondered, you know, where he went or how he's been doing, four out of five couch cushions for Val, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. Right on. Solid recommendation. I'll have to look into that because I always liked Val Kilmer going back all the way to Top Secret. Did you ever see Top? Oh, you mentioned it there. I did mention it. Yeah, sorry. Top Gun and Top Secret. He had two movies in a row named Top. So that's where the confusion is. (laughs) Okay, so I'll have a look at that. And in a moment... The Couch Potatoes, we try to watch as much new stuff as possible, but sometimes we like to just go back to watch an older film, sometimes movies we've seen a thousand times, or sometimes movies we've never seen. So we're going to tell you what those were next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. 
Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I had one of those movie experiences this week that I just love. I watched an old movie that I had never seen before. Watched it on a whim and it paid off better than I could have hoped for. I watched the 1996 legal thriller Primal Fear starring Richard Gere and Edward Norton. I didn't do this. You got to believe me. I don't have to believe you. I don't care. I'm your attorney. What about the truth? The illusion of truth. You can play the game. What do you think he's up to? I honestly don't know. You can unravel the mystery. There was someone else in that room. If it was a third person. You're in dangerous ground here. But you must keep the secret. Richard Gere. Primal Fear. Rated R. Sneak preview Saturday, March 30th at Select Theatres. Keep the secret indeed. I love how they put that into the advertising for Primal Fear because, yeah, if you've seen it, you know why. And if you haven't, I'll just say there are a couple of twists. I knew one of the twists going in, even though I'd not seen it before, and I was sort of annoyed because I figured it would be, you know, revealed at the end as the big twist. But no, it was revealed halfway through, and there were clues that I had picked up knowing that one twist was coming. I didn't know about the other one, though, and that turned out to be a delight, so... uh, it worked out for me twist-wise, and the whole movie was actually a delight. It's about a hotshot defense lawyer, Richard Gere, who takes on this young client, played by Ed Norton in his first movie, for which he won a Golden Globe and was nominated for an Oscar, and he's accused of killing an archbishop in Chicago. The movie came out in April 1996. That was crunch time for me in college, and it was followed by one of the best blockbuster summers ever with uh, Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible 1, and so on. So I missed Primal Fear, and I uh, just wasn't a Richard Gere fan at the time either i don't think the 90s featured a lot of these legal thrillers and courtroom dramas a lot of them you know starred tom cruise like the firm and a few good men primal fear has elements of both but unlike a lot of the grisham adaptations especially it's operating on a deeper level than just the mechanics of a legal case there's that's all there for sure of course but there's also more and uh after i watch an old movie i always go online to read the roger ebert review he gave this three and a half out of four by the way and he pinpointed what made this movie so successful in that the movie is not about the mechanics of the legal case, but rather how the characters feel about the legal case. And that in turn gets the audience more involved. And it was just an astute observation by the late, great Roger Ebert that uh, I thought really pinpointed what was so good about this thing. And also, you know, while the twists and the characters uh, are more fully realized here than we expect from the genre, and there's more than that. I mean, this stuff usually comes with red herrings that really stick out like sore thumbs after the fact, but not here. I found this all fit well together story-wise and plot-wise is just so well written and it takes a fun and frankly comforting genre and just sneaks his really good movie into it which was not very common at the time usually like i said it was just these uh Grisha movies that were mostly about the plot mechanics of some legal case and the cast was just insane during the opening credits i knew it was going to be awesome because I knew every name coming up on the screen until they got maybe 12 or 15 deep in the cast and started stacking names, you know, three actors high. But even then, watching it, if I didn't know the names, I think there were maybe two speaking parts where I didn't recognize the face. Like, everybody in this movie is somebody. You know them. There's Laura Linney, more, uh, John Mahoney, Maura Tierney, Andre Brower, a young, slender Andre Brower, like 25-year-old. Andre Brower, that was quite a sight. Francis McDormand, Locke from Lost is in it. Stephen Bauer, uh, there's a guy in it that plays a cop and he always plays a Chicago cop. Like he's also in 
uh, uh, the fugitives. So it went on and on and on. You just knew everybody in this movie. If you've never seen it, it's on Netflix. Go and watch it. Don't Google it or anything because you definitely don't want the spoilers for this one. Uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and watch it again. Primal Fear. It's out on Netflix. You've sold me. I think I need to watch this movie because I, I think I've seen it, but I don't remember the twist. Oh, there you go. I don't know the secret, so I need to look it up. Richard Gere stars in Primal Fear. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you mentioned Andre Brower. Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine is back this week. What's it's uh, final season. What? Debuted uh, this. It, it just debuted uh, Thursday, August 12th. So it's, right. so as we are we'll recording this, it's on tonight for the two of us. Okay. So you can still get to it, Jeff. But <laughs> yeah, um, I'll just quickly mention a movie that I watched this week. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Demons stay in hell. Angels in heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them. They see you. Understand? Constantine, starring Keanu Reeves from 2005. I think I might have to revisit this next week because we don't really have a lot of time. I don't need a lot of time. But I do have some thoughts on this movie because this is a movie that when it first came out, I liked it but didn't love it. And I eventually started kind of dumping on it when the TV show came out and they recast or they cast Constantine uh, with an actual British guy because the the comic book character is a blonde British guy who's kind of a smart aleck. Keanu Reeves, dark-haired American, played him completely differently. But yeah, I think I'm going to, I want to revisit this because I, I want to try to convince you to have a look at Constantine if you haven't seen it yet because I think it's worth your time. But Jeff, that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. If you are hearing this on the radio, but you want access to the show a little bit sooner, subscribe to the podcast. It always gets put out Thursdays uh, by about uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs>